Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills, and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is an area of personal understanding, its strengths, and shortly we'll welcome today's guest, Sean Hall, onto the podcast. But before we do, let me tell you why I believe strengths and understanding your strengths to be so important. When we know our strengths, we can be proactive in selecting projects, roles, activities, inside and outside of work that allows us to play to our strengths. But let's not forget, strengths are things that we are not only good at, but we also enjoy. And when we are doing things that play to our strengths, they have the power to energize us. Utilizing our strengths can also motivate us and build our confidence. And having this clarity on your strengths can also help negate imposter syndrome and that dreaded comparisonitis. And when we are clear on what our strengths are, we can all remind ourselves of these and not comparing ourselves to others and what theirs may be. Today's guest is Sean Hall, a leadership researcher, a TEDx speaker, mental health advocate, lecturer for the Marketing Academy globally, and CEO of Energex and WinWell, with a mission to scientifically prove that collective well-being is an enabler of business performance and competitive advantage. Sean partners with leaders and organizations who want to leave their people better than they found them at diverse organizations like the Wall Street Journal, Meta, Google, Diageo, GE Healthcare, Medibank, Deloitte, Unilever, and many more. Sean's superpower is slaying the energy vampires that undermine performance, cause burnout, crush creativity, and stifle inclusion. Sean, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. I am very excited to be here with you. I'm very excited to have you here. As you know, we always start with a big, juicy question. And today's big, juicy question is, what are strengths to you? That is a juicy question. I might say what they are to me, and then I might give the more like formal definition, perhaps. I think important to define first is that when I'm talking about strengths here today, I'm talking about character strengths. This is a positive psychology framing. And the definition, I guess, from a character strength point of view is that they are positive qualities that all of us have that are reflected in our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, and that they promote the well-being of ourselves, but also other people as well. And if I was to say what they are, I guess, more in the way that I like to frame things, I just say they're a collection of our unique superpowers that really bring to life our authentic self. So there's another framing where we talk about the difference between character and persona. And so a persona is almost like there's a layer that you put over yourself sometimes to protect yourself. So it could be fear-based often, it can be thin or it could be thick. You might not feel quite safe in a certain environment. So you put on this persona, this bravado perhaps, to feel like you fit in, but your character takes less energy to maintain because it's really the truest, most authentic version of yourself. And am I correct to say that when you are able to be in a character space, you feel more authentic and therefore it enhances your well-being or how does that benefit us? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about, there's lots of science now in the diversity and inclusion space that shows that when we are able to be ourselves, our authentic self, that has a massive impact on our sense of psychological safety and our well-being as a result of that. Because we all know that those times where we don't feel safe, and there's a spectrum of that, obviously, from, say, being in an environment where you could 
experience harm, you know, so someone who is gay or trans, for instance, and might, might experience bullying or might experience abuse, for instance, you know, those are hugely stressful situations that really detrimentally impact your well-being versus being in a space where you can truly be with other people that you feel a sense of belonging, you know, and that sense of safety, that sense of trust, I guess, that you have with yourself and also with the people around you is also showing even from a nervous system point of view to really activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So that in itself allows us to feel that sense of well-being. And even physiologically, our bodies will be able to do different things when we feel safe, when we're being ourselves. So when we can be our true authentic self, we have psychological safety, it impacts our well-being and how we show up at work. Totally. And not just at work in any aspect of our life. And one of the things I think too, is that as you do this work, I think there's a sense of self-awareness, self-reflection that comes with this. You know, a lot of Greek philosophy would talk about the benefits of really knowing yourself. So I always think that this understanding and appreciating and valuing and accepting our strengths actually starts with us first. And, you know, we often talk about psychological safety and trust, but it's usually in the interpersonal perspective. But when we really feel safe and we feel like we belong to ourselves, that is, for me, I guess, the real foundation for strong and sustainable well-being. I couldn't agree more. As you know, personal understanding or self-awareness is intrinsic to the whole marketer. And one of my favorite quotes is, you can only help others to the extent in which you know yourself. I would also say you can only help yourself into the extent in which you know yourself. And knowing, you know, your strengths, your values, the beliefs that are holding you back, your triggers, the signs of when you are heading to burnout, the signs when you're not feeling quite yourself, you know, all of those things combined. If we have that understanding of self, we are better able to look after ourselves and therefore maintain our well-being, but also better be able to have the strength to help others also. Nailed it (laughs) completely. So I think for myself, I know that it's almost like layers of an onion, right? Like you sort of peel yourself back and you get to... That's exactly the analogy I use, layers of an onion. So I love that, Sean. You actually might love this, this poem that I use from a family therapist from the 70s, actually. Her name was Virginia Satir. And she actually wrote this poem to help a young teenage girl who was sort of a bit angsty, (laughs) as I'm sure a lot of teenagers can relate to. And it really is about sort of the sense of self-compassion and self-acceptance and this like... You know, we all do things where we look back and we go, what? why did I do that? Like, why did I behave that way? Why did I feel that way? And so that sense of intrigue and curiosity about ourselves is definitely, uh, actually, it's one of the strengths that we've found through, through the research too, that is highly linked to an overall sense of well-being. And that's just by being curious because when we practice curiosity, and I think, you know, there's a great way even to frame our conversation here today is about being curious about, I guess, not just the topic that we're talking about, but being curious about ourselves. And when we're curious, there's a few things that are coming on. One is that you are almost forced to be present. And in a world that's really built to distract us, when we just pause and we're just curious in the moment, it's almost like we're able to zero in on detail. Things can slow down a little bit. And I think that's very, very good for all of us to do that. And also, I think when we're curious, we tend to drop out of self-judgment. And we all know (laughs) that our judgment of ourselves, our inner critic, is something that we all, just as part of the human experience, deal with on a daily basis. 
it is definitely something that we deal with on a daily basis. And often I say that, you know, when people talk about imposter syndrome or comparisonitis, which is comparing themselves to others. The first thing I always suggest that they do is what are you good at? You know, what are your strengths? You can't be good at everything. And owning what you're good at, you know, owning what value you bring to the world is a really great place to start because then you're not comparing yourself with others. You're focusing on the thing that you are good at. That gives you inner strength. And a book that I'm reading at the moment, A Well-Lived Life, she talks about it being the juice, the juice to life. And when you're doing things that play to your strengths, when you're doing things that play to your values, they give you that juice. They do. Superpower juice. Superpower juice. So on that point of knowing your strengths, what do you see as the benefit of your strengths and how would you suggest to the listeners about identifying theirs? Yeah. So before we go there, can I just talk a little bit about comparison that you just brought up? Because I think it's a really common thing for us all to do. If you read Atlas of the Heart by Brenna Brown or watch her Netflix special, she talks about, you know, we're hardwired to compare because it's part of survival, essentially. But to your point, it's like, what are we comparing ourselves to? Originally, that was about survival, right? Is that person bigger, stronger or that animal bigger, stronger? Is there danger there? Whereas now we're comparing ourselves often to things which aren't real at all. I sort of talk about you know, social media is really just this curated contentment in many cases that people are not really authentically showing what's going on, which again is the human thing to do. And I think from imposter syndrome point of view, favorite saying is the only people that don't experience that are the ones that should. And so it is a really human experience to sort of be curious about again, right? Is go, why am I noticing that? What data do I have to support that I don't belong or fit in here? Because often in those situations, you're there because you deserve to be. And so owning and accepting that is really, really important. I love that. Owning and accepting that. And also being curious as to why. I always say use it as a form of, of insight, because often what you are comparing yourself to is often an indicator of something that you want or want to be. And when you look at it from that viewpoint, why am I comparing myself with that person? Or what is it that they have that I want? Is it the way that they show up? Is it something in their life? Is it an achievement? What is it? Because that might give you some insight as to something that you may or may not want to go after yourself. Totally. And I think we always have those assumptions in that too, is that that person that you're comparing yourself to, it's highly likely to be doing the same thing back to you. And so it's such an interesting paradox, I think, sometimes. Um, when I'm working with clients, I sort of try to coach them and say, well, the only person you should compare yourself to is yourself yesterday. And so if you can say that you've you know, learned something a little bit about yourself or you've just done something a little bit better, looked after yourself a little bit better than you did yesterday, then then that's progress. And that is also something which is very important in terms of our overall well-being and that if we can feel that we're just making these small amounts of progress over time, cumulatively, they add up to a higher level of life satisfaction. I love that. And we're all searching for that life satisfaction or life fulfillment, mm. aren't we? Definitely. And I think that's a really interesting area to explore as well, because often, you know, where we're talking about here is how you personally are defining success for yourself. And I think that's a very important reflective process to go through. There are definitely dominant narratives out there around what success should look and feel like. And I sort of say, for me, you know, success is really about making sure that I have enough of the quantity and quality of energy, I guess, 
to do the things that are important to me at a standard that I'm proud of, that I'm capable of. Tell us more about having the energy to do the things that are important to you. So I think this is a good place again to sort of look at how strengths actually do that too, because once you're aware of your strength, I think actually one thing here is that I know you're going to give a link to everybody uh, to do a free strengths assessment to do this too. So it takes about 10 minutes. The strengths assessment that we're going to give you is from a company called VIA Character Institute. So VIA stands for Values in Action, and it's one of the world's most well-used, well-researched tools out there from a positive psychology perspective. Over 11 million people have used this assessment and 24 different character strengths. And in the version we'll give you, it's a free version as well. So you'll get be able to download a report with your rankings. And where I'd encourage you to do after that is just to check out your top five, because this is where the predominantly the research is focused in terms of the impact of identifying those top five to start with, but then applying those top five in various contexts in your life. And the two, I guess, that I think are important to focus on to start with is really about thoughts, first of all, and then about behaviors. And so when we look at thoughts, coming back to that idea of imposter syndrome or in the critic, right, we're often telling ourselves what we're not, or we're comparing ourselves to others, putting ourselves down in that process. And one of the best places I love to start, I guess, to build awareness around thoughts and and your strengths is the first conversation that you have with yourself in the morning. So if you're listening even now or even to yourself, Abigail, like if you think about when you looked in the mirror this morning, what was, what did you say to yourself? You know, was it kind? Was it compassionate? Was it loving? Was it accepting? Or was it mean? You know, often we are saying things to ourselves that are really mean. And the great thing about the strengths is the science, of course. And so say, for instance, if you did the assessment, it might say your top five strengths are things like kindness and creativity, bravery, perseverance, hope and optimism. The science verifies this. And obviously you're doing the assessment as well. I would start with my thoughts by saying in the morning, you know, I am creative, I am kind, I do persevere, I am hopeful. And that as setting a tone for the day can have such a massive impact on the rest of your day. Unlike I sort of say, you know, we've probably all heard people talk about affirmations and manifestation and things like that. And that can all feel a bit, you know, (laughs) woo-woo, not not that I don't mind the woo-woo now and then. However, these are real, right? This is science. So if your assessment says that you're kind and you're creative and you're hopeful, that's the sort of quantitative layer of that by doing the assessment. But if you were to have a conversation with someone that you care about, that you trust, that knows you, they would reflect that back. They would say, oh, Abigail, yeah, I remember that time that you're really brought your creativity to life. You know, you're the, always the one with the ideas or you're the most hopeful person I know because every time I'm in a dark place, you've always got a silver lining. These stories, these qualitative stories just show us that this is the truth. And so what you sort of see there is that when you're living those, when you're using those, not only are you energizing yourself, but when you hear these stories, you realize how those you using your strengths, you being your authentic self energizes other people as well. And that's a gift to give to yourself and a gift to give to the people that you care about. Definitely. So thank you, first of all, for sharing that link that's going to go out with the show notes and also 
on the podcast notes for everyone to be able to help identify their strengths. And as we've mentioned already this morning, it allows to give us energy. How can we also use our strengths to build our understanding to prevent from experiencing things like burnout? Mm, It's a really good one, right? So I'll talk about the research first, and then we can talk about sort of the practical applications of that. So what the researchers found, there was a couple of studies that were done, one in 2013, one in 2004, found that people that use their strengths more feel healthier and have more energy. And what they found was that when you use your strengths, it's also associated with healthier behaviors that manifest in things like leading a healthier life, about pursuing more enjoyable activities, even eating well. And so I think where I find that this really comes into its own is when there is an alignment, a congruence, if you will, like between how you use them externally to how you use them internally. And I can give you a couple of examples. So say, for instance, you had a strength of honesty, which is obviously very admirable to have. Being able to be honest with people, we know this to be candid, to give feedback, to be true and have a sense of integrity. We all see those as honorable characteristics towards other people. And then when you apply them to yourself, it's about being honest with yourself, you know, and understanding and saying, okay, well, am I doing what I say to other people to do? Am I being honest with myself about why I am putting myself last? Am I being honest with myself about the real reasons why I'm choosing to focus in one area of my life versus another, for instance? And so those alignments, the congruence that you have there allows you really to understand and focus on those behaviors that are going to drive your energy. Or it might be, you know, a creative application, you know, where you go, well, I've got a strength of creativity, say I'm struggling to eat vegetables, right? I want to increase the quantity of vegetables in my diet. I want to eat healthier. I can look at my creativity, both in terms of not just what I cook, but even, I guess, the ways in which I combine activities that create more opportunities for me to eat well. When we use these strengths with intent, right? Get off autopilot and just say, how can I use the strength that I know I already have to actually improve the quality of my life in some way? So what I'm hearing is it's really key to be proactive once you know these strengths to really think about what it is that you want to achieve and how you can use your strengths to allow you to achieve them. Can you tell us more about how we can use our strengths to benefit our everyday lives? Absolutely. It's like muscles, right? So if you go to a gym and you focus on a particular muscle group, you're not going to get the benefits of that in one session. You continue to go and then you're going to see an increase in your strength or your muscle size, whatever it might be. And so with your strengths, applying them to yourself as to others as well allows you to enhance their effectiveness to better understand your sweet spots, for instance, in terms of when you're using them. And I think like anything too, it's possible to under or overuse a strength, say a strength like humor, for instance, I'll often say to people, you know, what happens when you overuse a strength and they'll be like, oh, people don't take me seriously. They just think I'm the class clown, that type of thing. But then we know that when you use your sense of humor and the sweet spot, that can be hugely powerful. You can diffuse conflict. You can help people work through tension and stress. And then on the other end, if you underuse your strength, it's almost like the opposite. If you're in a, an environment that doesn't allow you to be humorous or playful, then you will will literally feel the opposite. You'll feel depressed. 
because of that. So being aware of what the strength is, but then being aware of the application of that strength in the context is really important as well. That makes complete sense. So I'd like to talk about, I guess, how we apply the strengths in two ways. So one, firstly, for ourselves, and then how we can use them to actually benefit other people as well. One of the simplest ways to think about this is if you are aware of your top five is you very simply could look at the day that you have ahead and you might say, which of my strengths do I feel would really benefit me today? What context would I use it in? You know, so do I have a conversation coming up where I have to be brave? Are the team that I'm working with at the moment struggling with a challenge that we have or limited resources? So how can I use my strength of perseverance to help them get through? Can I use my strength of optimism, my hope and optimism to help them think about actually what we're going to achieve, even though right now we're stuck in the weeds. And so it's really great to have that sort of sense of intent around that and then be able to reflect back on your day and go, you know, how did I feel in that moment? What did I see? What was the impact of me using that strength? Because often what you'll find is that when you're using it in the sweet spot, you are energizing yourself because it feels good. And then you end up energizing other people as well, because the impact of that is bigger than yourself. I love the point around the impact is bigger than yourself and benefits others than yourself. I think we don't often think about how our personal understanding can benefit others enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we started this conversation really talking around, you know, self-awareness and personal development. And I think coming back to that poem I talked about, you know, sometimes it's hard to put language around these things. I think that if you ask people, are they emotionally intelligent? Everyone's going to say, yeah, I'm emotionally intelligent. But then you ask them, you know, how many emotions can you name? And they'll struggle. (laughs) let alone if you ask them to define each of those emotions. And I think what's great about character strengths is they they give us a shared language, right? Not just in terms of how we're feeling, but what we're observing in other people. And it's in a team context, it's so powerful, right? Because, you know, I have these, these exercises that I do. I actually created these superpowers cards, I call them. I have a box here. I have a box I here. Have a box. That's it. Yeah. And so, you know, I've had some people affectionately describe them as positive psychology tarot cards. But what they do is not only give you this sheer language and this understanding of yourself and also others, they allow you to also recognize the diversity of strengths that you have in a team, right? And so we know that there's 24 character strengths. And I think that what's great about this too is the the reason that this all exists in the first place started from a very rebellious idea from Dr. Martin Seligman. And that was simply that instead of taking the psychological perspective that we should view humans as a set of problems to be diagnosed, we could look at the virtues that humans have. And the 24 strengths, the result of looking back over all of human history, really, you know, at those virtues, you know, those times when we turn up as the best parts of humanity. And what I love about that is that we all have the ability to be all these things. And the strength is in our collective bringing those together. Right. And so I might put as a warning to people that are listening is that when you download your assessment, just notice if your natural inclination is to go right to the back of your report and go, what's my, my least ones? Because I think that's Traditionally, how we've been taught how to sort of think is we're hardwired for the negative. You know, we're looking for what we're weak in. And what the research shows is that we can reverse that in ourselves and focus on 
our top five strengths, then that has a very huge benefit and almost immediately. And I think like this is what's great about the link with energy as well is that you don't have to spend a lot of time doing these things. If you have a strength of gratitude in that moment, literally in seconds, you will feel more energized. Even if you, and this is what I love about gratitude, even if you're in a dark place, it's impossible for your brain to hold gratitude and to hold a negative or challenging emotion at the same time. And so we can almost instantaneously by knowing and recognizing and practicing that strength, that muscle. And sometimes that means that we need to have practiced that first before we needed it, but we can literally be energizing ourselves in every little moment. And it really is important to not only identify, but to use and practice them. So you can use them in those challenging times. Talking about challenging times, dark places, burnout. Mm -hmm. I know that you are someone like me who's also experienced burnout. And I'm really keen to learn more around your own personal experience and how that has formed and helped shape the work you do with others to help them look after their well-being. Yeah, this could be a whole other podcast, right? So my experience, right, was that at the time, a very big job here uh, in Australia. I was head of brand strategy and marketing for Australia's largest phone company. I was running a $12 billion brand, 16 million customers. And I was running a big transformation of the brand at the time, which a very big job for a marketer. It's one that even globally, when you think about it, like the ability to impact 16 million people is an extraordinary privilege. And I often sort of say that I loved my job too much. And that led me to have this moment as I was sort of coming up to launching this brand transformation where I found myself in fancy accessories department of a department store, like a, a, let's think it's probably like a John Lewis type (laughs) department store here in Australia. And that for me was a little bit unusual. One, because that's not the type of place where I'd normally be shopping. I don't sort of say I don't buy man bags. I don't wear pocket squares. I don't even like to wear sleeves, much more comfortable in a polish or a t-shirt. And the other reason that that was unusual for me on that day was that I actually had no idea how I got there. So I sort of talked to people that if another customer would have seen me, they would have thought I looked a bit dazed and confused, physically shaking. My heart was racing. My, you know, my thoughts were all over the place. And I think that was just a moment for me where I realized that I needed to do some things differently. So I've come to call that experience an energy crisis. And I call it that for a very specific reason, because, you know, this has really been something that I'm very passionate about around the language that we use in the context of well-being just generally, but specifically around mental well-being. And so I call it an energy crisis because when I was looking for resources to help me get well again, everything And still today, really focuses on the extremes around depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction. And I didn't really feel like any of those things applied to my context. I just had no gas left in my tank, which we do know that burnout is a depressive type of syndrome as well. So definitely opens the door to more serious forms of mental illness. And so that was really the starting point for me. It's like, what led me to be here? What did I miss? I think that what I've learned looking back on things is that, and this again, just being kind to ourselves is that we've never been taught how to be well and all of the different component parts that come along with that. I was very lucky today. I was actually doing a workshop for a client and it's a a whole bunch of childcare workers. And what was really interesting about the context of why I got that client was they realized that this new curriculum was coming out to, and we're talking, you know, kindergarten age children 
And these children now have a well-being curriculum, but the adults have never had one. Great to sort of see that, but it just shows that we've never really been taught these specific skills that enable us to be well. And then if we are, they're sort of always categorized into that stereotypical wellness. So it's always about what you eat or how you move and sleep and stuff like that. But it's not looking at things like we talked about before, where which is your relationship with yourself is so important to your overall sense of well-being, but we've never been taught how to manage our inner critic or to be our own cheerleader, to be self-aware, to know ourselves or to even value that self-reflection. That was part of my own journey is looking back and going, what choices did I make that led me to be in this position? And partly that reflection was based on fear because when I was experiencing this, we're going back to 2011 now, we weren't talking a lot about this at all. There was still a big sense of shame and stigma. And there's still a sense of shame and stigma around mental health, uh, but we weren't talking about it. And I went through that whole experience alone because I feared that I would lose everything. And I talk about coming out about my mental health as my second coming out. And that this one was way scarier than talking about my sexuality because I just thought, I'm running a $12 billion brand. I can't go into my boss's office and say, hey, I've just you know had this moment, which any psychologist would say, put him in, in hospital to, to look after him. Like I had to just really be alone, I guess, in that experience. And so that really did force me to go, okay, I can't change Telstra, I can't, which is my employer at the time. I love my job. I've worked my ass off to get this job. So what do I need to do? I can only change myself. And I think that was really the starting point of me looking, going, what all the things that I missed? What that's taught me as well in terms of working and trying to help other people is that there's sort of this assumption, right, that we all want to, to take responsibility for our well-being, if that was the case, well, or if we all had the ability to take responsibility for our well-being, if that was the case, then we all would be, you would think. But what I found is that there's actually barriers to people taking responsibility for their well-being. And as leaders, and even for ourselves, we need to be aware of what those barriers are if we're going to have any hope, I guess, at really driving sustainable change. The first barrier that I found is, is really around self-awareness. So we can't change what we're not aware of. Sometimes that awareness is forced upon us, like my little moment that I had myself. We go, oh, I've got to do something, otherwise this is going to get really serious. And then the second barrier I find with people is really about confidence, which is, do I have the right skills? And if you think about even nutrition, nutrition is overwhelming. It's like, should I be keto? Should I be paleo? Should I be vegan? Where the hell do I start? It's overwhelming. And that's just one tiny sliver of what it means to be well. And so what I'm finding is people just need to know what to do. Like, what's the first place to start? What is the science? How does the science inform that? And then the third barrier that I find is actually the hardest one to overcome. And that is, if we don't value it, we won't do it. I spend a lot of time with my clients trying to unpick or identify or go deep. Why is it that you want to look after yourself? Why is this important? So important that you can't not do it. And usually the reason for that is not about you. It's about being at your best. It's about being a good parent. You know, it's about being a great friend. It's about avoiding issues, right? Wonderful conversation with a 75-year-old care worker today. And, you know, we were just talking about being young old, right? So the body is a bit stiffer than it used to be. And so for her, 
you know, the reason that she needs more energy is really about longevity and quality of life and being present to her grandchildren. And those are the intrinsic motivators that mean that we will do this. And putting ourselves first in this place is not selfish. It's actually selfless because like you said right at the start, when you do have that, when you've looked after yourself, you can turn up, you can be the best version yourself for other people you can support other people when they're going through times of trouble when they need a little bit of a boost there's no way that any of that is selfish in practice so true and I think the themes that are coming out for me as I listen to you are one you need to have the clarity about what's important to you two you need to have the education and curiosity around what you need in order to feel well and how you can use those strengths and three is about making it a priority I don't think Mm. enough of us make it a priority. And I'll put my hand up in saying that, you know, I'm going through a difficult period personally at the moment, returning to work after losing my dad. And I'm having to put back into practice lots of things to make sure that I have the strength to get through the day. So journaling, walking the dog, prioritizing the things that are important, work and life. And that takes time. And also Mm. I would say, a personal experience as someone who has burnt out before. And I think it does change you. You know, I was listening to your experience and love the analogy energy crisis because that's exactly what burnout was for me. I literally couldn't get out of bed. And yeah, I became curious. Why am I flawed? Why is my energy flawed? Why can I not get out of bed? And then I looked at how I was behaving. You know, it was like, I just went an evening event having trained all day. And before that, I'd done this. And before that, I'd done that. And then realized that that had been a pattern for weeks. And it's no wonder that I'd burnt out along with kind of, as you say, those emotional fear coming into place or anything of emotional intensity that's going on at the same time. It's like, prolonged stress with something that you're going through personally, couple that together, you know, burnout is inevitable. I suppose that what I'm saying is it's the education and noticing those signs is really important. And you don't have to go through burnout in order to make sure it's a priority and you put those things in place to give you the energy you need to do the things that you want and need to do. Yeah, 100%. And I think we can make these things simpler for ourselves. Like I think we do sometimes over-engineer, and this is what I mean about the whole topic of well-being. I guess being overwhelming for people is especially, you know, in those times when we are feeling overwhelmed or burnt out, often we feel like we've got to change everything. And it's often just the small changes that cumulatively add up to that overall sense of well-being. I sort of break it down to a couple of little mottos or self-reflection tools that I give people. And the first is really about being mindful of the decisions that you're making, right? So one way that you can think about this is if you look back over your diary for the last two weeks, everything that's in that you've said yes to. Now, you might not have wanted to say yes to those things, some of those things, but ultimately you have, otherwise you wouldn't have been there, right? You wouldn't have done those things. You wouldn't have spent time with those people. And if there are things that you've identified in that time or those decisions that you've made that were depleting and you continue to make those decisions, those same decisions to choose to spend time with people or choose to do activities or behaviors that do deplete you, that's a legitimate adult choice that you're making. I call those decisions that we make that deplete us energy vampire decisions, right? So they literally suck energy away from us. And what you've sort of talked about as well is that often those energy vampire decisions are like little paper cuts. It's just cumulatively, say, as you said, burning the candle at both ends or choosing to just get even 30 minutes less sleep each night than you normally would. And 
each one of those is a little paper cut that suddenly a few months down the track, you have your version of that moment that I had, or as you said, your your burnout moment as well. And so that's a legitimate choice. You can either make a decision that depletes you, an energy vampire decision, or you can choose the opposite, which is what I call an energist decision, choosing a behavior that energizes you and potentially energizes others, expands their energy, expands your energy and expands the energy of others. And so one of the simplest reflections that we can make is just looking back on our dango, how many of the decisions that I made today were energy vampire decisions versus energist decisions. And just being aware that tomorrow, I'm just going to try and change that balance a little bit more, even just one more energist decision, one less energy vampire decision. And then gradually, bit by bit, we can move towards that sort of life, I guess, that I believe that we all deserve, which is to have a life, career, relationships that are energizing and important to us. So we're making those choices every day to create stuff for the space for the things that energize us the most. I'm having a moment. I'm just like, yes, I'm absolutely going to do that, Sean. I absolutely love that calendar review. I'm going to do that myself. And I'm sure many listeners are as well. That's definitely been my key takeout from our conversation today of something that I'm going to proactively do. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for your time so far on today's podcast. You have given us so much context, understanding, advice, being very open and honest in your conversations. And for that, I thank you. You are so welcome. (laughs) Now, it really feels unfair to ask you the final question that we ask everyone, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Sean. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? This is so hard. You know, like I <laughs> I got it down to four and I'm going to try and maybe, uh, let's just see if I can maybe get it down to two of you will be, let me. The first one I thought just from a professional point of view, right, is I think that one of the things that we can do as marketers is we can reframe our brands as well-being brands. What I mean by that is that if your customers and your employees as well aren't better off, aren't more well as a result of the relationship with your brand, then why would they stay with you? And I think this just allows us as marketers to really focus on those moments of truth in terms of our customer experience and our employee experience. And then the second thing, and this is just a personal one, because I do think that there's sort of this strange dynamic, this sort of existential thing going on where we've got these pandemics of anxiety and depression and burnout. And as a profession, we actually have higher rates of those things as well than the general population. And so when it comes to expressing our creativity and our superpowers, the thing that I ask, this is a legitimate marketing strategy, and we've seen it time and time again, but What I ask you as a marketer is don't be a brand that makes people feel less than. As I said, coming back to the, we talked about comparison before, you know, it's a really legitimate marketing strategy to make people feel like there's something missing in them that becomes a motivator for them to purchase. I think as marketers, we have a choice about whether we go down that road or whether we try to build people up. That's a great piece of advice. And thank you again for your time on today's podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com. Thank you.